Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the business of cannabis. On a weekly basis, Anne Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg talk with the CEOs, politicians, and cultural icons driving the cannabis industry forward. This episode was recorded back in May and features Anne and Lewis catching up with fellow hosts Phil Carlson and Nick Opich. Don't sit back, lean forward. Now, on to the conversation. Welcome to The Green Rush. I'm Ann Donahoe, and today is another one of our hostful episodes. I am joined by Lewis Goldberg, Phil Carlson, and Nick Opich. Can I call you guys the cannabis bros, or is that weird? Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll work on it. Um, but before we start, just wanted to send a quick reminder to hit the subscribe button for The Green Rush on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts from. Um, and if you leave us a rating or a comment, we would be ever so grateful. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at KCSA underscore cannabis. So let's jump into it. As we record this on May 14th, a huge announcement has come out of Canada. Aurora has required, acquired MedRelief, making it effectively the largest cannabis company in the world. Uh, let's talk about this. This is the first in a, do we think this is the first in a trend of big companies starting to consolidate? And what does this actually mean for the industry? So, and uh, this is Phil. So yeah, very big news. This makes these guys a dominant global player in the industry here. Uh, the proposed merger is basically these two companies combined are going to have a funded capacity of about 570,000 kilograms per year, equaling one point, whatever, 1.3 million pounds uh, <laughs> being cultivated from 11 different facilities, nine in Canada, two in Denmark. It's a, uh, a massive, a massive, uh, a massive acquisition here. So, you know, I, I mean, look, we, we, this is Lewis. Uh, well, you all know my voice. You may not know Phil or Nick's, but you will soon. Um, but, you know, at, towards the end of last year, we heard that 2018 was going to be the year of consolidation. And we've seen a lot of companies either go public or prepare to go public. And we've seen a lot of companies raise capital, but none of it has been deployed until now. And I think that this is the beginning of a significant uh, consolidation. You know, CNBC was talking about this deal this morning uh, and they, they put it into a little bit of context, but others were, were talking about this deal and said, okay, well, who's next? Uh, in Canada, you know, there's the, a lot, there's a know, lot, there's a lot that's out there. And with the, you know, the, the LPs that are currently being mentioned, you know, you have to look at like, can trust holdings or another producer and distributor of medical, uh, pharmaceutical grade cannabis. Um, these guys did about, what was it? 20 million in sales in 2017, you know, and they, they're, they're almost a billion dollar market cap. I can see them, um, Afria. Uh, Afria is being mentioned. Um, Organogram is another one. Um, Hydropothecary, who we met with at yep. MJ Biz. Um, yeah, these guys. Uh, that's been a lot of people's thoughts. And that's 2018. That's is, just is, in Canada, right? That's I mean, just in Canada. We haven't really seen, you know, even real tire kicking or heard about real tire kicking in the United States, but it's coming. I mean, the. the How soon do you think it's going to come to the U.S.? Well, I read a note today that um, in the U.S. alone, annual cannabis sales are almost equal to that of Netflix sales. Wow. 
So soon. Uh, <laughs> that would be soon. Uh, about as long as it takes for a Netflix CD or DVD to get to you in the mail. <laughs> Well, what it, I mean, digging in that a little bit further, what does this mean for the U.S.? Because this is a big Canadian deal and, you know, on the international stage, but not necessarily for the U.S. markets, This because we can't um, import-export. So, you know, what does this mean both for, like, the U.S. investor, but for the, the U.S. Uh, consumer? Does it mean anything okay. right now? It does. Um, the other big piece of news that came out this morning was that Canopy Growth announced their plans to list on the New York Stock Exchange this summer. That is a huge piece of news. And that, that coupled with the MedRelief Aurora deal, um, means that the industry is professionalizing very quickly, um, that the major exchanges are starting to want to participate in this and realize that they are losing both a, a huge source of listing revenue on the one side and then trading volumes from the retail investor on the other side and the potential institutional investors. I think this is this is huge news. Um, both pieces are huge news and, and they presage a major change that's going on in the overall market. Well, I think we can be, you know, it's going to allow these guys to attract institutional investors here in the U.S. You know, however, with the Med Relief deal, um, you know, they did a $133 million financing early in 2018. And actually, one of the one of the companies or one of the investment firms that was in on that deal was J.P. Morgan Asset Management. They actually did about a million shares in that of that $133 million deal. So it's, you know, you see these institutions are probably they have to be licking their chops at this and having canopy list on the New York Stock Exchange. You know, I think you're going to see a lot of these other guys who if they're not already in discussion with the Nasdaq or the NYSE, I think this kind of lights a fire under their ass to get them moving to, you know, take those next steps because the, the U.S. investor base. I would have to say far, you know, is far greater than what you have in Canada. But uh, it's, uh, you know, it's definitely a, um, a they're more, you know, more mainstream investors here. And, um, you know, you could see more acquisitions, you know, like that once these guys start listening to the U.S. And full so can you talk a little bit? Uh, sorry, In full disclosure, uh, Aurora is a KCSA client. So noted. Phil, can you just talk a little bit about for people who may not understand the the process? So it's so Canopy has applied for a listing on the New York Stock Exchange. I mean, that seems to be taken as Bible right now. But if it's just in the application form, what what does that actually mean? So, well, they, so they've submitted their application. So they still have to be approved by the uh by the New York Stock Exchange, uh, you know, I don't want to bore everybody with what the, the process is. but Oh, please bore us. Bore. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, it seems like it's a done deal, but if it needs to be approved, I mean, I feel like there's been, so, you know, other companies that go up against this process and get shot down. Well, and, you know, we have spoken with uh, the NYSE and the NASDAQ in regards to our clients that are currently here in the U.S., and they have uh, shot them down. But, you know, they're obviously becoming... Uh, uh, they're opening their doors, I guess, to the, the Canadian market. So why do you think this is different? Why do you think Canopy is different? Well, I think, it, well, because they're listed up in Canada. You yeah, know, they don't do any business they, here, so they're no not in violation here. of the of U.S. federal law. So, you know, with the, yeah, once it's federally legal here in the U.S., you're going to see a lot of these guys. But I, to be honest with you, I think you're going to see some of the companies that are not touching the plant. I think you'll see them list by 
Q1 of 2019 on either the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange. I mean, we saw a Kronos list. Um, yeah, Kronos and- is the – so, that you know, Canopy is the first – well, they would be the second pure play behind Kronos, but Kronos is on the NASDAQ. Um, you know, Canopy will be the, like I said, second pure play. But uh, do you have some other guys like Scott's miracle Grow? Um What's the innovative uh, industrial properties? That, and, the, you know, those guys are both listed on the NYSE. So it's, well, but that's not Scott's miracle Grow's prime business, right? They touch it. It is their fastest grow. It is their fastest growing segment. No, but it's not, though. It took a hit. Uh, Hampton, uh, is that the Hampton division or whatever? I can't remember the name of the division. But the lighting was, division or because they, they have, remember, the they, fertilizer have, division, they, have well, they have four divisions. They have lighting, fertilizer, soil and additional services. They, 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 I've what does this to, count as? Additional services? I have no. No, 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 no. Within the, within cannabis, there's there's oh, two oh, sectors oh. that they touch, mm-hmm. and it is faster. It, I mean, maybe but they're looking to acquire companies because yeah. their cannabis division isn't growing as fast as they had hoped. Um, you know, they're not seeing the growth that some of these other companies are are currently seeing. So, um, about a month ago, yeah. So. Yeah, like uh, we're talking about Canada. We're talking about Canopy wanting to list on the New York Stock Exchange. I, how much of this plays back into the John Boehner announcement with Acreage, which another client of ours, um, getting involved? Like we, we saw shortly after the Boehner announcement, uh, Senator Cory Gardner was able to strike that deal with Trump for states' rights. Um, just today, legalized, uh, legalized gambling was brought back to the states. Are we going to see like a greater push towards states being able to get their own call on this? Uh, I think it's a good time to be living in New Jersey. Um, <laughs> but uh, said everybody on the phone living in New Jersey. <laughs> Not me, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I could see. You know, I, uh, listen. I, I think you're going to see more congressmen and senators stepping up to the plate here from both sides of the aisle, wanting to attach their names to cannabis because that seems to be. You know, you saw right after with the, with the whole Gardner Trump thing, or after Boehner, everything just started opening up. Schumer. Yeah. Well, you Trump kind is. of you kind of can't swing a dead cat and not have you know hit a Democrat trying to put forth legislation. But is it really going to go anywhere in this current environment? I mean, unless the House flips, there's really nothing that's going to be done. Even if the House flips, it doesn't matter. What Boehner did fundamentally is give permission to Republicans to embrace this issue, you know, and and say what you will about whether John Boehner is late and is culpable for what's happened in the past. You know, he is so vital to changing the perception of this industry. Um, You know, I really think if you look at cannabis advocacy, there's everything pre Boehner and now everything post. And all the work that the advocates did, normal and students for central drug policy, you cannot disregard because we wouldn't have gotten to this point without them. But going forward, it most probably be, will be the Republicans who take this in to, to, to the end zone. If if normal and, and, and um, you know all the others got us to the 20, the Republicans are gonna take it in for the touchdown. And whether it's a good thing or a bad thing from a, a cultural perspective, from an industry perspective, scoring the touchdown is I think what's most important, not who, who carries the ball across the plane. Well, and it's not like Democrats aren't getting involved either. I think there's definitely been a shift in leading up to the primaries this year mm-hmm. of Democrats starting to make that a, as like a primary platform, especially with for example, like Cynthia Nixon putting the pressure on Governor Cuomo to come out 
fully say that he's going to support cannabis legalization. Because right now, I don't think that he's actually said that. I'm going to be a John McLaughlin here from the McLaughlin group on Sunday morning, and I'm going to give a prediction that the the Republicans that that um, Trump deschedules um, October of this year as the October surprise to try and help the Republicans hold the House. That's my call. Uh, and the thing is, though, I I've heard that. Be- before, but I, this was pre-Boehner, and I heard that it was a 10% chance that he does it in October, but I wish it, it's, it has to be higher than that now. I, I think the only thing that's predictable is that Trump is unpredictable. Yeah. So, and you need to work on your McLaughlin imitation. Ta-da, predictions! <laughs> <laughs> <Question> number one! <laughs> oh. <Let's, laughs> on that note, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Green Rush. And we're back. You're listening to the hostful episode on The Green Rush. We're here with Lewis Goldberg, Phil Carlson, and Nick Opich, the KCSA cannabis team. Um, And I am going to pivot and talk social justice issues. The New York Times had a huge article over the weekend basically dismissing the police explanation that more black and Hispanic people are arrested on marijuana charges because of complaints that are higher in their neighborhood. The article said, quote, across the city, black people were arrested on low-level marijuana charges at an eight-time rate of white non-Hispanic people over the past three years. The New York Times found that Hispanic people were arrested at five times the rate of white people. And in Manhattan, the gap is even starker. Black people were arrested at 15 times the rate of white people. That is just completely staggering. What do you guys think the industry is doing or the industry can be doing better to fix this? So I, I, I think that the cannabis industry is well aware of what is going on and and they themselves probably can't make fundamental changes to policing strategies and 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 community policies like that um but you know you look at the the rates of incarceration it they're off the charts um you look at the the challenges that former inmates have in getting jobs it's absurd you know the the industry is well aware of this and they are trying um, both at the multi-state operator level and at the individual company level to, to address this. But yeah, that was going to be my, my follow-up on that. It's like, do they, because right now there's this disparity in that, uh, when we just talked about it with uh, black and, and uh, Hispanics are getting arrested at this high rate, but it seems like a bunch of white people are profiting like crazy off the cannabis industry. Does Do these cannabis businesses have a prerogative to advocate for it? For these changes to get rid of these lower level offenses? Uh, yes. The short answer said amongst the three white guys <laughs> sitting around a microphone and the one white girl sitting in California. Um, but I, I can tell you that our clients, and we work with a lot of multi-state operators, are very seriously looking at issues of, of corporate social responsibility. Uh, and they all know that if it's not done on a legitimate, honest level, that if it's just done from a PR perspective, that people will see through it. And they're looking at issues on how to deal with um, expunging uh, arrest records and uh, providing employment to uh, to nonviolent felons and you know uh, uh, give uh, you know buy one give one type toms type thing and lots of these companies are talking about it and trying to figure out how to do it in a way that is sustainable and scalable so they all know they have a responsibility and even though they're the quote unquote suits um, there's not one that I've spoken with that doesn't really feel passionate about the industry they may have gotten into it because of the the, the green rush opportunity but they very quickly have gotten 
educated on the history, the responsibilities, and the pain and suffering that 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 have been engendered because of, of the cannabis trade, um, that they all know that they have a responsibility. Yeah. So, yeah. Go ahead, Ann. Uh, no, I I think two things. I think one, you know, it is up to the industry to do everything that it can um, to to rectify this, and part of that is 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 lobbying and treating this like a like a real business and a real industry, and and understanding that you know all politics is local, and you know you're voting for judges, you're voting for your district attorneys. You know these are all issues that you know you can ask people where do you stand on this issue? How do you how do you effectively police you know low level marijuana offenses? I mean these are questions that we as citizens can be asking our representatives and and you know to, and put their feet to the fire and really demand that they that they answer and that you know and that answer is satisfactory to us and if it's not we vote them out um and i think the cannabis industry does a good job of that but i think they i mean i think they can be doing better i mean there's such a lack of representation at you know these big companies um and i don't necessarily think it's very top of mind for them i don't know i mean i look at uh maybe no i don't know you look at at Senator Gardner from Colorado, right? Mm-hmm. He is a Republican and and a pretty conservative Republican, you know. He, but on this issue, he's really good, you know. And I think that this issue, because of the the data around it, when you have more than ninety percent of the country favoring medical legalization for medical cannabis, more than sixty percent of the country favoring legalization for adult use, what other issues poll like that? And and as the industry becomes uh, more visible and more powerful, there will be a, a, a legit sense of urgency to court the cannabis voter, not just the NRA voter. Or but I the, think it gets lost in, Lewis, I think it gets lost in the legalization versus, you know, the adult use legalization argument. So, yes, we want to vote for, you know, politicians who, you know, are where that's on their agenda, but we don't look at, you know, the the local state and county officials who are enforcing the law. Um, I think you're right. I think that it has to be it's hard to do it all at once. Right. You got to get it legal first and stop having. Look, if it was legal, there would be no arrests. If it was legal, we would see, you know, if it was legal, the blacks and Latinos and Asians and and white people would all not be arrested. What about people that are currently incarcerated? So that's a huge issue, right? That's that's the wiping the slate clean um, so that especially if they're nonviolent, if they're violent drug offenders, that's that's a different issue. But if it's nonviolent, you know, selling a dime bag or possession. But is it going to be case by case basis? Like how they like that? No, isn't Seattle you know, doing the, and, and states like, or cities like Seattle and San Francisco doing broad brushstrokes to, you know, to release these low level nonviolent offenders. Yeah. I mean, you, you gotta you know, say somebody, say there's like a bank robbery or something and the guy had an eighth in his pocket and they, he didn't go to jail. Yeah. For yeah. yeah I think that's, I think it's considered violent. Whatever. He had 10 pounds in his car or whatever it is, but he, you know, and the judge waited one yeah. way or the other. No, like, no, no. If it's, as long as it's be... a nonviolent offense, there is a yeah. move to expunge those records, right? Yeah. The very first thing that has to happen, though, is it has to be legal. Yeah. Although, yeah. you know, it's like... I think you have seven years before that. Five years. Five years. I think you're right on five. I so. mean, I think people are tired of waiting. So. <laughs> yeah, but, but think, I mean, so... And, well, first of all, what do you think? <laughs> since we all, since, since uh, Phil and I came up with a number, what's your number? I mean, you've got to 
you've got to definitely you let... wipe these clean. <laughs> I asked Anna a question. Oh, Wait, sorry. what's my number for what? For <laughs> when, when, when it's going to be legal. Oh, when it's going to be legal federally? Yeah. Phil said seven years, then he went back to five. I agreed on five. I'm going to say four. I'm going to go three. I'm going to be the most optimistic here. I can name that tune in three years. <laughs> <laughs> what were you saying? Well, so. Uh, no, I was going to say, so let's talk about what, what, you know, if it were to turn tomorrow, what does that look like? What happens to all of the multi-state operators? What happens to, you know, the people who are incarcerated? I mean, that is such a huge sea change in the so, federal so status really, here. It, and that's kind of scary. While it's great, that's kind of scary too, right? There'll be a line down the street across the street from us. But if you think about it, so there's, there's these two... Um, competing tensions in that question between you know what if it went legal tomorrow right the 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 one tension is well nobody's getting arrested anymore and we've won the other side of it is that there are lots of companies whether we represent them or or not there are hundreds and hundreds of companies that employ hundreds of thousands if not millions of people who exist um, in the light, but in 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 the light of, of legality in Colorado or, or Arizona or or Washington State or wherever, um, but they also exist in the shadow of the federal illegality that keeps out those big super tanker companies. You know, these multi-state operators, from a retail perspective, would face real competition from liquor store chains and pharmacy chains, and you know what happens to them. Now they would all say, hey, we're specialized, we'll, we'll survive, but it's hard to see if Amazon wanted to take its Whole Foods chain and spin off a, a version of a cannabis you know, dispensary, how the heck can these, these companies survive? And then there's the, the producers, right? These are people, what would the number, how much How much is Aurora and MedRelief going to be able to produce collectively? 1.3 pounds. 1.3 million pounds annually. So if you're ConAgra and you make hundreds of millions, if not billions of pounds of corn a year, how hard is it going to be for them to commercialize that program and then take out all of the big producers all at once? Well, they'd have to buy somebody who's going to actually do the – Okay producing or whatever okay you know, they're not just not going to just i got it but, but so they'll buy they'll buy the the lead growers and or they'll just buy aurora and then blow out everybody else right so there's these tensions like for the people who are in the industry they don't want it to get from a business perspective fully legal until it's a more fully developed industry but on the the social justice side shit how do we let these people rot in jail and how do we have people continue to get arrested it's like there's these real tensions Yep. Well, well, that and also showing up on like their arrest records for when they try to get new jobs. It's it's yeah. got to help the people that are already out of jail too. Like, yeah, it's got to expunge their records. Yeah. yeah, it's it's it's. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm torn. I mean, you've got me dreaming of like a Whole Foods adding a deli style thing of cannabis <laughs> in, the, in the back corner. It's like, can, yeah, let's legalize it tomorrow. If that's the case. Next to their soap, soaps and potions aisle. No, yeah. would you yeah. get in a little cannabis locker? Any any grocery store that sells wine and liquor could sell cannabis. It shouldn't. It will be regulated similarly. So is that that shoppers up in Canada, isn't it? Aren't they the? They're going to. Yeah. Yeah. Shoppers it's not yet. In, in mob laws, right? Yeah. So what do you think, Anne? I mean, do if it happened tomorrow, what do you think would happen? Uh, kind of <laughs> chaos. 
I mean, because if I'm sitting in jail, I'm a little pissed. What, you know, why wasn't this thought out before? Why, you know, I, I guess that's, that's my first thought is that, you know, the social justice side of it, the business side will sort itself out. I mean, we're a capitalist economy. I'm, I'm, you know, not worried, but I think that, you know, from a, from an arrest side, like, so how do you, I mean, and that's a, a big change when it comes to like the, the, the cops and the prosecutors. I mean, you're, you're, it's a wholesale change. So how do you implement that so quickly? So I don't know. They I don't just think not, not enough. What's that? They don't, the cops don't want it. They want it legal. They don't want to deal with. with oh, they don't want to be deal. It's such, it's a headache for them. But, but I think like, so, so without proper procedures and proper, you know, I think it would be, you know, complete chaos, but good chaos, I guess at the end. <laughs> If there's a thing is good chaos. Yeah. So Phil and I last week were at the MJ Biz conference in New Orleans. Um, and it was interesting. I found it to be interesting because. Wait, the, actually, Lewis, can we go to a break before we talk about that? Yes, of course. You want to take us to a quick break? So let's take a quick break. We'll be right back on the Green Rush. <laughs> And we are back. Thanks for coming back to listen to this hostful episode. Um, you've got your little jars of joy here and Anne in California. <laughs> Am I not a part of the jar of joy? It is part of the jar of joy. So as I was mentioning, Phil and I were in New Orleans last week for the MJB conference and one of the things that I noticed was the the attendees were definitely the professional cannabis market participants there weren't as many looky loos kind of wanting to poke their head in and, and see what did you, what did you see yeah I agree I think the one in Las Vegas is certainly the uh, that's the the biggest one um, it's the across. CES of cannabis it really is uh, but you know the one in New Orleans was similar to the one that I went to in DC last year year um i guess you had the same kind of players but you know even with louisiana not really being you know a full rec state like you have in nevada um, it's barely a medical state yeah, mm -hmm. they, there's five dispensaries state. in louisiana or six dispensaries but in even louisiana. like even in dc given that it's it's legal there it's like a you know i i didn't i i thought it was the same type of attendee that was in yeah, dc it was a professional audience yeah. it was people we who heard that it was a lot of people from the Midwest and a lot of people in the Northeast. So I don't know if that's right. indicative of something. We met a, a manufacturing company. We were, we were out to, we were, we were out having a drink, actually having a hurricane. And we met these guys yes. who were like mm. chemical chemists, like, and they were like <laughs> chemical oh, chemists. Well, they were like, <laughs> is that on their business card? It is exactly. And it, you know, <laughs> it was like Professor Bunsen Honeydew and Beaker. Um, but they were like serious, like hardcore agricultural chemistry scientist dudes who make all, all their money in another industry, but were focusing on the extraction side, a really niche, small component in the overall cannabis industry, but like a very specific way of extracting THC and CBD. And 
they were all excited about the industry. It was really fascinating. I'm so excited about science getting involved in cannabis. I think it's going to do amazing things. Like we work with companies that do gene editing and stuff. And all, ever since like I started really working with you closely on the cannabis stuff, it's like, oh my gosh, with gene editing, you can like just delete like one little part of the, the DNA of this plant and you can make something really, really cool out of these cannabis plants. So like as much as these growers really, really are really strong. doing stuff right now, <laughs> like we've talked to a lot of different growers that are able to like grow a ton and grow really great stuff right but there's still so much more that i think can happen so yeah, if as crisper or talon yeah that'd be crazy <laughs> i think oh you, can, you can make the most powerful cannabis plants ever <laughs> <laughs> it's 112 percent thc <laughs> so um we don't let nick out a lot <laughs> <laughs> and now you understand why <laughs> New Orleans was good. You know, it was good to see that there was definitely some new companies that we hadn't seen at the past two previous shows. But um, I'm interested to see what uh, what uh, Las Vegas brings in, in November. But, there, you know, there's other conferences coming well, there's up. there's Toronto. Well, yeah, the Toronto one. Um, and that's going to be with Benzinga, the conference right after that. And then you have uh, New West Summit coming up in October. So there's, there's definitely a... Oh, the NCIA one in San Jose is what? Is that next week? Uh, no, Cannabis no. World Congress is coming. No, Can- Cannabis World Congress, Congress is in two weeks. In so, two weeks, right. Um, all right, so we are at the point in our show where we do Puff Puff Pass, and Ann and I have done this before. So it's your guys' turn. Each of you has to do two things that you love about the industry, and this is supposed to be rapid fire and not 45 minutes, and the one thing that's driving you nuts Nick. Uh, so the first thing that I love is the Democrats using this as uh, a chance to make it part of the strict party platform. You're seeing Kamala Harris get involved. You're seeing Cory Booker get involved. Cynthia Nixon on the ground floor. They're saying like, no, for the future of the Democratic Party, cannabis uh, legalization is is on the forefront. So that's really awesome to watch happen in real time. Um, the the second part is just the amount of business deals that are happening around cannabis is really fun to watch. It's seeing this industry being professionalized right before our eyes. We're getting the the email updates or talking with the reporters that this is all happening. So as like a big deal like Aurora and uh, Medrelief happens, it's like, okay, well now we're getting one step closer to that legalization. So you're saying five years, I'm thinking three years because who would have thought three years ago that a $5 billion cannabis deal would have gone down like this. Okay. And the past? Uh, the past is that I still think uh, minorities are just getting completely overlooked when it comes to uh, legalization. I don't think that they're getting a big enough voice or they're not in- involved enough in the industry. And I think it's a lot of white guys in suits making a ton of money off the, the, the backs of the people that are in jail or unable to do anything about it now. Phil? Two things that I love about the industry. Uh, the conferences. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, and also I like seeing how these these companies are, you know, creating their brands, whether it's the dispensaries and how they're forming their own identity. And, you know, you have like the other like the the edible brands like Kiva and Dixie and how they're, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see how that is going to shake out and who's going to be the winner in that. But it's good to see these guys at the early stages here. Um, yeah, it's really cool to watch, to, watch yeah, this happen. And all the different products that are coming out there, that, you know whether they're chocolate-covered blueberries or Listerine-type strips. It's just – it's crazy. It's it's definitely crazy. And um, your pass. One, uh, the conferences. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> Which there's I get as well. There's too many out there, but they're definitely they're fun to go to. But it's like and they're good for networking. It, but it's, for networking. It's, it's tiring. It is definitely tiring. So that is it for this week's uh, episode of the Green Rush. I'm Lewis Goldberg. Um, Today, Anne and I were joined by Phil Carlson and Nick Opich. Um, if you can remember to please uh, subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever podcatcher, whether it be iTunes or Stitcher or other things that I don't know about, which there are a lot of. Um, you can also follow us on uh, Instagram or Twitter at underscore or at KCSA underscore cannabis. Um, you can also email us. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Any questions you want us to address, anybody you want us to talk to. Uh, one of the really cool things I think Ann and I have discovered is that pretty much anybody that is in the industry wants to talk with us because you guys all are listening. So who do you want us to talk to? Shoot us an email. Um, and with that, uh, oh yeah. Um, you can come and say hi to us at the cannabis. Thank you, Nick. Nick just passed me slightly a note, uh, but you can say hi to us at the Cannabis World Congress and Business Expo here in New York at the end of May. Um, we're out. <laughs> <laughs>